Uh, yeah, this is going to be the final part of our series uh, answering this question. We've been exploring uh, throughout this term, what kind of church? If you have a good memory, uh, hopefully you'll recall three months back when we started with this series, we started by examining the kind of church that God has designed. And we saw that his plan has always been to have a people who belong to him for the praise of his glory. And to that end, he's called all of us on this mission to see the kingdom of God come in our city, in our nation, and ultimately to the very ends of the earth. And so we are called to be an outward-looking group of people. And we're to see every domain, every area we're in as a potential context where we can bring more glory to God. Really, there is no sacred, secular divide. It's like the mission of this church doesn't just get worked out once a week as we gather together in a meeting like this. No, the mission of the church happens as we're sent out from here into our schools, onto our campuses, into our workplaces, into the streets where we live, the communities where we are, determined to live for Jesus and make much of him. That's the big picture. And then, if you remember, we shifted focus slightly and began unpacking what happens on the occasions when we do gather together like this. If you like, we examine the question, what characterizes our church life together? And so we've talked about community and diversity. We've talked about worship, the presence of God, prayer, generosity, and obedience, What I want to show you today is how all of this gets held together. And just to lay my cards out on the table at the very outset, more than anything else, I want you to see today that you have a crucially important part to play in all of this. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be camped out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're finding it, let me just explain uh, a bit of the context to the passage we're going to be examining. Paul is writing this letter uh, to the church in Corinth to try to untangle many of the kind of moral and theological knots that somehow they've managed to get themselves into. And here in chapter 12, Paul is trying to help the church there see what they're supposed to be like. And Paul does it with reference to the human body. In fact, in just 15 verses, Paul mentions the body 17 times. Obviously, this is a picture, this is an analogy he really wanted them to get hold of. Let's dive in and see what he has to say. Verse 12, Paul says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, in other words, whether racially or culturally, whether slave or free, in other words, whatever our background, whatever our class, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Well, let's just pause there. Paul, in these verses, is talking about something 
incredibly radical. He's talking about a body of people that is diverse racially, culturally, and socially. Now, I think a lot of the time, a church tends to end up focusing on a certain type of person. The reason being, it's way easier to cater for a group of people who all come from the same background and who all want the same thing. But really, that is not God's design for the church. So, for example, as a church here, we meet in three different sites, three different locations on a Sunday morning. And across our three different sites, we've got people who became Christians as young children, uh, we've seen people come to faith who are in their 70s. It's exciting. We've seen people in old age coming to faith in Jesus. We have people with PhDs. We have people who left school with no qualifications whatsoever. We have people who are broke. We have people who are really very, very wealthy. We have representatives from at least 25 different nations. We're not quite as diverse as we'd like to be, but we're certainly moving in the right direction. You know, the idea that there's only a certain type of person that trusts in Jesus really isn't true. We we all have different preferences and different styles and different backgrounds and different upbringings. And Paul says here that God's taking all of that uniqueness and bringing it together to form a singular body, his bride the church, which means that your individual uniqueness is pretty spectacular, but it hasn't been given to you simply so you can be unique. It's like in your uniqueness, you bring a distinctively you piece into the whole body. And that's Paul's point in the following verses. Let's pick it up again in verse 14. He continues, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ 
and each one of you is a part of it. What do you reckon? Pretty powerful picture, isn't it? You imagine a church where absolutely everyone is welcome regardless of their background. A church where everyone is valued whatever their contribution. A church where everyone is honoured whatever their race. A church where everyone is accepted whatever their age, their sex, their education, their appearance or their social skills. A church where everyone, regardless of background, has a crucial part to play. Well, that's the kind of church that God's after. And for the record, that's also the kind of church that we're trying to build here. But I think there are some common ailments in the body that can prevent, that can keep this from happening the way that God has designed. And pretty much for the rest of this talk, I want to flag up two of them. First ailment is feeling like we don't really belong. Talking here to anyone who perhaps feels a bit on the fringes, who feels like they really don't fit in, that those who feel like they don't have a whole lot to offer, those who look around the room and think, well, let's be honest, you don't really need me here. Maybe you compare yourself with others and you're left feeling like you haven't got a whole lot to contribute. It's like, I don't have any gifts. Or perhaps you feel like you're in a bit of a minority. Could be because of your skin colour or your accent or your upbringing, could be because of your education. Might be the fact that everyone else looks like they've got it all together and you know for sure that you haven't. You you look around and everyone else in the room seems different from you. Feel like you stick out. You, you, You don't quite fit in. And it's not a particularly comfortable feeling. Well, that is exactly what Paul is referring to here in verses 15 and 16. It's like your foot looking at your hand and saying, well, because I'm not a hand, I can't belong to the body. Or or it's like your ear saying, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That's perhaps how some of you feel. Because you're aware that you're a bit different, you feel like you don't belong to the body. And so, having diagnosed this problem, what does Paul prescribe? Well, as we're going to see, his remedy is very, very simple. He injects us with three important truths. Here's the first one. Actually, regardless of how you feel, the truth of the matter is you do belong. You really do. That's what Paul says in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Now, got to admit, it's a pretty surreal argument, but it does make the point. Just because the foot can't do what a hand can do, 
doesn't mean it has no place in the body. Similarly, you might compare yourself with someone else in the room and conclude that you're useless. But according to Paul here, your logic and your conclusion is wrong. The reality is you really do have a valuable role to play. The body would be a whole lot weaker without you. And it's a lie to say that just because you feel different to everyone else, you don't belong. The the truth of the matter is you do belong. Regardless of how you feel, the truth is you belong. Here's the second shot of truth. By definition, the body actually needs to be diverse. Verse 14, Paul says, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. That's what it means to be a body. It has got to be made up of different parts, or there wouldn't be a body. It's a simple fact. The body wouldn't even exist if there wasn't any diversity. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. There's a whole lot of repetition going on here. Are you getting the message? Variety is absolutely essential. Without diversity, the body, the church, wouldn't function properly. Without you, the church would be a whole lot more one-dimensional. Without you, the church would be a whole lot blander than it would be with you in the mix. It would lack the variety. It would miss out on the diversity that God intends for the church. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I didn't actually say I wanted the whole body to be an eye. I wasn't thinking I wanted the whole body to be an ear. I don't like being what I am, that's all. I'd just like to be something different. It's like, we're happy to accept that each one of us has been gifted, but the problem is, some of us would rather have a different gift to the one that we've been given. And so maybe we begin to sulk or be dissatisfied with how God has wired us. Maybe we, we start getting jealous about what God has called other people in the room to do. And in that moment, when jealousy begins to rise up and we want a different gifting than the one that we've been given, we'll tend to do one of two things. Either we will attack the body or we'll decide that we have some sort of a lesser gift that isn't all that important and so we won't do anything. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. If we say with Paul's analogy here, both are diseases in the body. 
I mean, think about it. If, if part of your body stops working, that's a problem. If all of a sudden you, you, you can't move your right arm, that's a problem. If all of a sudden you lose your left leg, I would suggest that's an issue. If part of your body just decides it doesn't want to work anymore, that's pretty serious. And if your body turns in on itself and begins to attack itself, it's only a matter of time before the body loses its strength and vitality and potentially dies. And so, when we become either frustrated by our level of gifting and want more than we have, or we decide that our gifts don't really matter in the body, that the church is wounded by that kind of thinking. By definition, the body must be diverse. And then here's the third injection of truth. At the end of the day, God knows what he's doing. Paul says in verse 18, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Really, there can be no arguing with that. The bottom line in all of this is that God is sovereign. He has designed all of the parts in the body, and he knows what's best. He knows precisely the right fit for all of us. You know, I think we can have a tendency to forget that gifts aren't always what we want, but rather what we've been given. In 25 days' time, or 24 days' time, we, we'll, we'll get to live this out. We might have come up with our dream list. Uh, it may be very different from what other people think we actually need. I've met people in the church over the years who have told me that, for example, their, their gift is the gift of teaching. And it's really not. And it's not because that they don't put in the work and try really, really hard. It's just that God has given some people the gift of teaching, for example, and some people he hasn't. It's not like a switch that can just be kind of flipped on through hard work and determination. Sometimes in his grace, God just gives the gift. Let me use an illustration that hopefully you'll be able to resonate with. Who here watches the first few episodes of either The X Factor or Britain's Got Talent? Anyone in the room? No need to be ashamed of the fact. I'm asking for some response. Okay, a few people do. Uh, For those of you, just put your hand up, and those who uh, were too embarrassed to admit that you do, uh, it, it can be painful viewing, can't it? You see someone screeching out a song, and you're thinking, their family must really hate them. I mean, if they genuinely loved them, they'd have been like, please, don't do it. Don't go there. 
Well, I'm telling you, if you persist with this, you're going to be one of those people on the first few episodes. You're going to be the one who's set up as a laughing stock for the nation, for your sake and for the family's name. Please don't go through with this. And you watch the interview before they do their piece where the contestant's going, this is my gift from birth. This is my dream. This is where my life has been heading. And you just know it's not going to end well. You, you, you kind of wish that someone had loved them enough to tell them it's not going to happen. That, that there's no room for debate here. You, you, your gifts lie elsewhere. Listen, you have been uniquely gifted by God, but you don't necessarily get to choose. There's huge variety in the gifts that he gives, and every gift is essential for the health of the body. We need people with gifts of service and hospitality and administration and encouragement, as much as, if not more than, some of the upfront gifts such as teaching or prophecy. Which is why God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. I mean, if it was left to us, we'd probably end up with loads of mouths and no ears, or hundreds of hands but no heart. All are absolutely vital. All have a crucial part to play, and God has set it up for every church body to have the right component parts to function as He wants. And so, at the end of the day, we keep on thinking we're useless because we don't reckon our gifts count. We don't think they're important enough. Or we look around and we think, well, I'm not sure I belong here. We're potentially not only saying no to the whole idea of the body, but worse still, we could be saying no to God Himself. But perhaps saying that we know better than him. And what we want is more important than what he wants. Like all issues in life, in the end, really, it comes down to a simple question Are you willing to trust God in this? That's the first ailment. This feeling, I don't belong. Here's the second one. The second ailment is feeling self-sufficient. When members of the body feel they don't belong, they say, you don't need me. When they feel self-sufficient, they say, I don't need you. Paul says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Paul's warning us here. He's warning us that we need to beware the temptation to feel and think that we are important 
and we don't have need for others. On the contrary, Paul says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Truth is that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, they aren't necessarily weaker, they they just seem it to you, are actually indispensable. Not optional, but indispensable. Not merely helpful sometimes, but totally and utterly indispensable. Not maybe a needed part of the body on occasions, but completely indispensable to the body. We cannot do without them. But Paul doesn't stop there. You see, it's not enough just to say, well, this church needs everyone who comes along. So from now on, I want this church to be made up of a whole load of people different to me. I want us to reflect the diversity that's found in our city. That's a start, but it's not enough. You see, Paul goes on to say that thinking it, saying it, even wholeheartedly believing it, isn't good enough. Verse 23, he says, the parts that we think are less honourable, we're to treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. The truth is, those people who feel like they don't belong, those people who perhaps compare themselves with you and end up feeling, for whatever reason, that they're useless, they're not going to change their view if all you do is inwardly believe that they're welcome. For us as a church to say that we welcome everyone without at the same time going out of our way to demonstrate that we do isn't going to include anyone else. People who feel like they're in the background, people who feel on the margins, in the fringes, whether they're in a racial minority or a woman in a crowd of men or a single person among a bunch of couples, someone who serves quietly behind the scenes or a visitor who, who, who walks into a room of people and they don't know anyone else in the room. Paul would say, these people need to be given special honour. They need to be given special treatment. They need to be shown special concern so that they're not tempted to conclude that they don't belong. Isn't that what Jesus did? He went to the home of tax collectors. He bent down and touched lepers. He spoke with prostitutes. He sat down with people from different cultures. He he broke through every potential dividing wall. He, He refused to take the easy path of just mixing with people like him. He persisted with people who weren't easy to engage with. He he kept going where there were those awkward silences. 
He he didn't give up on people who let him down. He, He didn't avoid people who were deeply suspicious of him. He wasn't so locked into his own busy schedule that he couldn't be flexible enough to drop in on people unannounced. He he wasn't concerned about what other people would think of him. He overcame every social, racial and cultural prejudice. And I think he calls us to do the same. You see, the church is his body. We're to look like him, think like him, act like him. So why don't you just think about it for a moment? You just consider the people in your social group. Maybe the people you, you, you've been out with recently, the people who have been round to your house in the last month or so. Are they all from the same colour, the same culture, the same background, the same age, the same stage of life? I've got to ask myself, am I inadvertently encouraging segregation in the church and justifying it with my preferences and my comfort? Or am I building bridges to others who are vastly different from me? I think those are the kinds of questions we've all got to ask ourselves. Because Paul says we're to treat those who might naturally conclude they're excluded, or they don't belong, or they don't fit in, or they're not needed. We're to treat them with special honour, special modesty, special treatment. It's challenging, isn't it? And I believe... It's a challenge we must all feel. You see, this really isn't a take-it-or-leave-it kind of message. This is deadly serious. If God's not all that bothered about displaying His infinite perfections in and through the church, then this isn't such a big deal. But... If God's plan is to create and form a people who are his primary vehicle for shining and displaying and magnifying his glory here on earth, then this is of infinite importance to all of us. Which is why I'm going to press on you here. If you accept what Paul teaches here in 1 Corinthians 12, then it has massive implications for all of us in the room. Think about it. If God has uniquely gifted and wired you, and and if God's purpose in giving you these gifts, regardless of how small or large they seem to you, If God's purpose in giving you these gifts is for the building up of his body, the church, and 
If God's design in all of this is for you to find more joy and for Him to be glorified, then what happens when you come along here, but for whatever reason don't fully plug in? I'll tell you what happens. You end up missing the point of the church. What the church is for, God's design for the church. And in the process, you rob yourself of the joy of using the gifts He's given you for the building up of the church. You you, you rob the church of the unique contribution that God has given you for our benefit. And you rob God of glory. Listen, please don't hear me wrong. Not looking to condemn anyone. Not looking for anyone to, oh, I'm really feeling got at now. Not looking to to load anyone down with kind of guilt in all of this. But I'm certainly not wanting to drive anyone away. Quite the opposite. More than anything else, I am hoping and I am praying that you see a little bit more of God's design for the church. That it would be like one of those aha moments. It would be like that the penny begins to drop for you. That, That you'd be inspired to play your own unique part in the healthy functioning of the body. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I've been praying for all week. And so, let's try and make this really practical. Hopefully, God's challenging you. Hopefully, you want to do something about this. But where do you start? How should you go about applying a message like this? I don't know. Maybe you're thinking, well... I just don't know what my gifts are. I have no idea where I'm gifted. I think I might have this or that, but I'm ever so slightly frightened I might end up like one of those X Factor contestants on the first few shows. Help me here. Here's how you figure out your gifts. I think figuring out your gifts is a community project. It's a community activity. I think we discover our gifts by doing life together. Because when we're doing life together, we can spot and say, hey, do you realize you're really good at this? Millerad, I've noticed just your faithful service, week in, week out. I wouldn't have spotted that if it wasn't for this community. Steve and Jan Fry, are they here? No, they're not here. I'll talk about them anyway. Just notice, they're they're wonderful gifts of hospitality. How they don't just do the tea and coffee, but they actually make people feel welcome. They include people. They gather people in. Patty. Your, your wonderful gift of 
hospitality and uh, again just looking out for people and bringing a sense of family to the church. Carolyn just obviously you've got musical gifts and talents well you don't need to be in a community to discover that but there's something about the, the way you play that brings something of the presence of God to the church. You know we need to do much more of this We need to be quick to encourage one another, to help one another. See, actually, these are gifts that God has given me. It's in community. It's in relationship with one another that we can spot these things and help one another see the the contribution they have to play. Or maybe as you interact with people, maybe in your life group, for example, you'll find yourself going, well, hey, I'm getting this strong impression that God's warning me to pray for you like this. And then you step back for a few weeks and watch it turn out as you felt God show you. And you're thinking, well, maybe God is building into me a little bit of the gift of prophecy. Well, you pray for someone and they get well. Ah, maybe I've got the gift of healing You see, in doing life together, we can encourage one another and figure out our gifts more easily. But when we're not in community with others, we're forced to proclaim our gifts based on nothing but our own intuition. And it might seem right to you, but you're setting yourself up to be like that person on the first few episodes of X Factor. It's like the more cut off you are, the more isolated you are, uh, and the more you, you simply attend but don't really belong, the more difficult, if not impossible, it is for you to see where you're gifted. And the harder it is for you to use your gifts as God intended for the building up of the body of Christ, the building up of the church. And so... So we wrap up not only this talk this morning, but this whole series. My question for you is this. Will you commit to the church? Will you commit to the church? Will you give yourself for the building of the kind of church that God has designed for us to be? Will you use your gifts to strengthen us? And will you open yourself to benefit from the encouragement and the gifting of others? I'm going to invite all of you to stand, if you would. And we're going to pray.